Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Good morning. Hey, everyone. I love everyone talking to each other in community, but we're going to get started this morning if you want to find your way back to your seat. Good morning, y'all. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Well, good. I'm Nicole, and um, I am excited to be speaking to you all this morning and continuing our series that um, is Thinking Christianly, where we're going to be talking through Philippians for the next handful of weeks. Um, First off this morning, I just want to say thank you all for being here. You could be anywhere, but you chose to be here, so thank you. And um, I'm going to pray this morning, and if you guys wouldn't mind uh, putting your hand towards me and also praying for me, because I'm here to give a word that the Lord wants to put in all of our hearts. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for being here with us, and I acknowledge your presence and your love and your sweetness that is with every single one of your children here, God. I ask you that what I have to say not really matter, but what you want to say, that's what matters. (laughs) Hi. What you have to say is what matters, God. And I ask you that the words that come from my mouth go into the hearts of all of your children here today. In your name I pray, amen. We good? Don't need to test it anymore? (laughs) Whatever, it happens. We can just call it out, right? So, a little recap. It's all right. Um, The letter of Philippians, uh, we started last week in chapter 1, and we'll continue to finish chapter 1 tonight, um, or this morning. And uh, right now, the book is kind of opened up, And uh, Paul is there in prison, and he's speaking with a friend back to the church in Philippi. And there's a special relationship that he has with the church in Philippi. Um, It's the first church in Europe, so that's a big deal. But it also started uh, with a wealthy woman, a jailer, and a girl who was possessed with a demon who Paul laid his hands on and prayed over her. And so, okay, no problem. And so, you know, it's really cool that... uh, the special role of women already to start with, and I love that, obviously. But it also gives so much validity that the Lord uses anyone, whether you're, you're you know, high class, low class, or, or whatever. And um, so we were talking about the last week in chapter one and everything. He's waiting for a trial, and he's writing to the, the church at Philippi knowing things are probably going to get worse and that they're facing a lot of opposition, and he's really wanting to encourage them and lift them up. And in the first 11 verses, which is what Ryan taught on last week, he doesn't say a single thing about himself. He's just saying, I love you guys. I love you the way Jesus loves you. I hope you're well, you know, things along those lines. And then finally in verse 12, he begins to talk about himself. And so here in Rome, he is finally made it to Rome. He's been on all these voyages and these journeys and these missionary trips, and he's finally made it to Rome. He's been all over the known world at that time. And 
He always wanted to be in Rome, and well, he's there, but he's in prison, and likely house arrest, and he's talking to his friend, and I'm going to open up in verse 12. Hold on to your seats. I've got quite a bit of scripture, but it's really important for us just to, to understand the context of everything. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can just stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, that Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Is it possible for us to rejoice in life no matter what has happened? You know, in this book, um, joy, or the word rejoice, is mentioned 19 different times. It's four chapters, 104 verses, and joy is dripping literally from every single page. And the man who's writing it is in prison. It's really amazing the single-mindedness that he had at that time, not to complain or talk about the bad things that had happened, but to talk about joy. You know, Happiness and joy is not the same thing. Do I think that Paul was happy in prison, in chains, literally writing this? I don't think so. But did he have joy in the Lord and in his spirit that was inside of him? Absolutely. And that's something that is really hard sometimes to digest, you know. But holy joy comes from realizing that our position in Christ is who we are in him, what he has done, and then remembering it. And all throughout this letter, Paul says who he is in Christ and talks about what he has done. And he's helping the people in Philippi remember all of the things that he has done. You know, joy is definitely an active participation thing. It's not something that just comes easily. We have to choose it. And in a lot of cases... It doesn't make sense. And especially in this case, let me set the scene for you guys. So Paul, as I said, is in prison. We get it, okay? He's in his late 50s or early 60s, and he's writing in this situation. And he says, now I want you to know, 
sweet, sweet brothers and sisters in Philippi who I love so much and I have such close relations to, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And that's Philippians 1 and 12. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Let me explain to you guys a little bit about what has happened to him. He just alludes to it, but there's a pretty good list in Acts and then some other places, but I'm just going to touch on a couple of them. What has happened to Paul? Whipped, beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, robbed, kicked out of multiple towns, lost in the wilderness, hungry, naked, cold, he's sleepy, he has mistrials, he's snake bit, he, and then he's underneath deep stress for all of these churches that he loves so much all over the world. He's thinking about their health. I mean, that's a lot of stuff going on, and now he's in chains. Happiness, which is an external source, he had no reason to be happy in what was going on. But joy that comes from God and is fixed in God, he had that. You know, the emotions and the feelings that he had, I can't even imagine. But we don't trust our emotions and we don't trust our feelings. We trust our faith and we trust that God is in the midst of it. Three things that become really evident in this section of scripture about joy is that joy is tested by our problems. Joy fuels our passion for our mission. And joy always keeps God at the center of our perspective. Problems, passion, and perspectives in people's lives can really either make or break them. We all have problems, we all have a passion, and we all have perspective. And if they get out of balance or mixed up, it can take you down. But that was not what Paul was doing. He was refusing to let that happen. But I want to talk about his problems a little bit more. You know, shipwrecked, stoned, snake bit, just a, a couple little things, not that big of a deal. But the thing is, is that he says in 12 through 14, once again, what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. And as a result, I want you to know that as a result means because this happened, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. So because all of this bad stuff has happened to me and I am where I am now, the gospel and the palace guard all around me knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I want us to look at the word there. You can keep it up there. Advance. Advance the gospel. In Greek, the root word for that is called prokope. I assume I'm pronouncing it right. doesn't really matter. You wouldn't know anyway. <laughs> it's a military type word, and it's like a word picture. It means someone that goes before the army and clears the underbrush and makes a road where there was no road. So he's saying, I am going out before you, and I'm clearing a path for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what all the things that have happened to me is how I'm able to do this. Otherwise, maybe my sword wouldn't be strong enough to, to cut away the brush and make a way while there was no way. And he's, it's so important to understand that he keeps using this word advance, advance, because he wants the people in Philippi to see and have a visual image 
He is clearing a way for them and for the gospel to go into the hearts of people. You know, it also means in some ways, another word, I can't remember which one, sorry. He's saying that the conversation that people are having about him being in, in chains for Jesus has become really well known and is also like becoming normal everyday conversation among people in the palace. He had a lot of interesting friends there. Um, you know, sometimes friends we make in like really difficult times in life or people we meet in really difficult times in life. Those friendships and those times become just so much more intimate and so much more close. And he had some really interesting friends there, and they were the guards that he was chained to. So in knowing from Roman history, whenever a prisoner was chained to a guard, he was chained to him 24 hours a day. And I was reading about history, and they were saying, on average, it was four guards every shift, three shifts a day. And that would be about 24 guards, 84 guards a week. So 12 guards a day, 84 guards a week. Could you imagine you're this Roman royal guard who is like the top of the top, say CIA, Navy SEAL, all of those things, assassins, all wrapped up in one. They thought Paul was a real threat and kept him with those type people. Could you imagine these Roman guards being like, oh Lord, I gotta go sit with Paul today. He is just going to sit down and be like, hey man, how's it going? Did I tell you about Jesus? Let's talk real quick. I want to tell you, you know, I was this person that was awful. And could you imagine this just chatty, evangelical Christian? Those guards, they had no option but to listen to the gospel. And it's so neat because at the end of this passage of scripture in Philippians, he says, I send my greetings, all my brothers and sisters from here in Rome, and also some of the people in Caesar's own household. He's talking about the guards. He was leading these guards to Jesus. And so it was, he was, it was a setup for him to be able to reach these people in a whole new way. You know, also, it's interesting that his longest time of being locked up ended up leading to some of his greatest results. You can take this down. We'd have absolutely no prison epistles if it wasn't for him being in jail. A huge percentage of what we consider the New Testament, if he was not in jail and going through these problems, we wouldn't even have them. You know, other problems he had, we know people were gossiping. Did you hear about Paul? Did you hear what he did? Did you know he is still in prison? I mean, it's already been two years. Was he weak? Was he sinning? I would assume it's kind of embarrassing for your pastor to be in jail. <laughs> I hope, we're, not, we're never gonna have that understanding or that realization, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but you know, there were also people that were trying to profit from him being in jail. In verse 15 through 18, he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others do it out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can just stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. And then he says this, which you know only an older man who is just secure in who he is and who God is could say, he says, but what does it matter? It doesn't matter. The important thing is that in every way, 
whether from false motives or for true, that Christ is preached. And because of this, I'm going to rejoice. There's that rejoice, that joy word. He says, it don't matter. They're talking about Jesus. It might be that they're thinking that they can be, you know, now that I am out of the way, who he was like the big, you know, famous pastor at that time. And they're thinking he's out of the way. Now it's my time to, you know, step into the limelight and let me talk about the revelation that I have, that Jesus has given me. And Paul said, I don't care. Whatever their motivations are, they're talking about Jesus and they're doing it in the right way. May not be the right heart, but it's the right way. And so for that, I'm going to rejoice. And you know, I have to be honest. I, uh, I grew up in a ministry family, and I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly whenever it comes to preachers and churches and prophets and apostles and Dr. Reverend Sister Brother. And I have definitely had some judging of people who are preaching the gospel. Usually because I didn't like the way they were doing it or the way they looked. There's one specific minister. I feel like a, a hip-hop star, like having to hold it like this. So sorry. <laughs> Going to jump rope, do like a little Joan Jet move. Um, there's this one specific minister who I not going to mention their name, but they're very, very famous and very successful. And for the longest time, I just did not like him. I wouldn't even give him a chance. And I didn't like the way he kind of, this swagger, this outfit, this hat, you know, whatever. And I just wouldn't listen to him. And there was one day I had on like Daystar Television or Inspiration Network or whatever, and I was in the kitchen and I was cleaning. And I heard this preacher start talking. And I was like, I can already tell this is going to be a good message. And I'm just going about cleaning in the kitchen. And finally, something just like hit me in the heart. And I was like, this is good. I need to go in there. I'm going to stop cleaning. I'm going to go sit down on the couch and I want to listen to this sermon on TV. And I walked around the corner and I realized who it was on TV. And I thought, oh, I had a serious reality check. It was the minister who I have some problems with and who I had been judging. And I sat down and I, I was like, okay, I'm just going to close my eyes maybe just to listen to what's being said because it's the gospel. And it touched my heart so much. And in that moment, it advanced the gospel in my life because he was preaching the gospel and regardless of his motivations or my judgment of him, he was advancing the gospel. You know, recall that word, prokope, of advance. The gospel was advancing despite all of the problems because not all storms in life come to interrupt you. Some come to clear your path. Now, I didn't write that. I found that online, but I was like, this is so appropriate with the word image, with the Greek word prokope, that not all storms, we can put words, whatever it is, your problem, your storm, your situation in life come to interrupt you, but some of them come to clear a path. And the path here that is being cleared is the gospel. And it's so amazing that we can look at that and say, oh my gosh, despite all that Paul was going through, you know, his passion for advancing the gospel cleared a path so that 
I'm not so certain City Beautiful would even exist. I'm not so certain that the country that we live in would exist. It changed the trajectory for all of time. His problems, his problems that helped advance the gospel. But it was his passion that fueled that gospel. He's a passionate older man, as I was saying, in his late 50s or early 60s. And he talks about what does it matter? The important thing that in every way, whether from false motives or true, that Christ is preached. And I'm going to rejoice in that. The gospel in that time um, was called, as it is today, uh, good news. And it was a very common word. Gospel, people had heard of the gospel. That wasn't a new revolutionary thing. But it was a gospel of peace in Rome at that time. It was allegiance to Caesar. It was allegiance to Rome. It was allegiance to Pax Romana, which is peace for Rome, which is peace by force and justice. It was almost like a nationalism type thing. But Paul was preaching a different type of good news. Today, we would use what is considered and talk about whenever we say the gospel, which would be kind of the standard, the normative gospel. Nothing normal about it, by the way. But it's, you know, Jesus Christ, he came to earth to live and then he died. He rose from the dead and he took all of my sins. And if I follow him and give him my allegiance that he's Lord and God, I'll go to heaven. But Paul, I think, may have been even adding on to that gospel and preaching a little bit different, more. N.T. Wright says, I am perfectly comfortable with what people normally mean when they say the gospel. It's just I don't think that's exactly what Paul means. It's not an either or. It's an and also. I'm not adding anything like that's theologically unsound. It's just, it's added on because what Paul is caring about when he comes on the scene, he's well-educated, he's well-respected, probably well-known, obviously a threat considering the guards he had. He's preaching in these Roman cities declaring that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. He's telling them all this stuff with Caesar and the allegiance to all of these gods, pagan gods, as we talked about last week, that's wrong. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus is Lord. He came and he's back at the right hand of the Father and every knee one day will bow and that included Nero and that's what got him in prison. That's why people were so upset. You know, the standard gospel does not get you killed in Rome during this time. If you want to talk about what happens in heaven, if you want to add another God to your list of 12 gods already, saying stuff like that and saying Jesus is God is not a big deal. Hey, it's the first century. Cool. Good deal. Get another God. I don't mind if you're worried about what happens after you die. But no, Paul is saying here and now that one day every knee will bow and that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, not Caesar. And that's why he is in prison. You know, if you want to say other things about Caesar, you know, that's whenever you get in trouble in this time. And that's why he was there. And that's also why Jesus got executed. 
I want to go ahead and skip around a little bit to a couple more verses. If you'll go to verse 27, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Up there, the word conduct yourself comes from a word uh, polytuomai, and that's where our word politics comes from. He's not just saying, you know, be good, be nice people, make Jesus happy. He is actually saying conduct yourself as a citizen, follow the laws, be a part of public affairs in a manner worthy of the kingdom of heaven. Last week, Ron was talking about how that we think of the kingdom of heaven, and for some reason, some of us think that means the church, and that's not really the case. The kingdom of heaven is community and where we are here today. He is saying, live as a citizen of the gospel of King Jesus and start now. You don't have to wait. He's not saying detach for this world, wait on a cloud till you get to heaven, but do it now. And it starts here. The reason why I say that kingdom starts in community is because here in some of the, the lower parts, he uses imagery of an army. He, he says that, um, imagine an army standing shoulder to shoulder and linking arms. That's the image he is giving here to the people in Philippi. And, you know, it might be possible that, you know, sometimes you're preaching to yourself. That's definitely what I'm doing this morning. And that Paul is maybe feeling a little lonely. He doesn't feel that community. He doesn't feel that kingdom as much. And he wants to remind the people in Philippi of what that looks like. And also he knows that things are probably going to get worse. And he wants to encourage him. And remember that just because life changes does not mean our deepest passions have to. It could have been really easy after all that had happened to him. And he said, you know, obviously this is not going very well. And... This was something in my belly. I know I had that moment on the road to Damascus and God changed my name and all of that, but things are bad. I'm going to change my passion. But he didn't do that. He did not do that because he knows that it was given from God. And the passion for the gospel that Paul had made it possible for him to have a kingdom perspective about what everything was going on. He was literally thinking Christianly. This whole letter and this whole series, Ryan entitled Thinking Christianly. And that's because the perspective that Paul had was thinking Christianly. What is the difference between an obstacle and an opportunity? Our perspective towards it. I read that quote and I was like, that's really good. And then I went on to read about perspective and definitions for it. It says a particular attitude or way of regarding something, a point of view, a true understanding of the importance of things, a sense of proportion. 
in verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now and always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. If I go on living in my body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body and convinced of this, I know that I'm going to remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. He saw all of this as an opportunity. He didn't ask, what did I do wrong? Did I sin? Did I do something that caused this? I misspoke. I'm sure he may have asked those things, but he didn't let that shift his perspective. No, he was able to step back, check his attitude, shift his perspective, and say, my eye is on Jesus. That's all it is. His tagline, basically, that everyone knows about him is from verse 21. For me to live and for Christ, I'm sorry. <laughs> for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And later on, he actually says, but I choose to live because it's better for you. His, his perspective in life helped him become so selfless. You know, I heard this phrase one time about if you think down, you will go down. If you think up, you will go up. And you always travel in the direction of your thinking. And I believe that so much. Now, I'm not trying to diminish the situations that Paul's going through. I'm not trying to diminish the situations that you've gone through. Maybe that you're actually going through right now. Not just stuff in the past, but things you're going through right now. Life is heavy. It's hard to understand. Um, it's hard to wrap our head around certain things. But God is so sweet to be with us through all of that. I asked my father if I could share this this morning, and he said, yeah, it's fine. And I just want to show that this Friday, um, my father was given a diagnosis of cancer. He has been a minister of the gospel for over 40 years. He has lived a life above reproach. He has laid hands on people and then be healed of cancer. But here we are. But as we've talked about things and we're still talking about things, probably don't quite have our heads wrapped around it yet. Our perspective is always we're keeping our eyes on Jesus. And that's where Paul was in that time. He was keeping his eyes on Jesus. He was rejoicing that although all these things have happened, I can stay strong because of the strength of the Spirit of God that's in me. And that's all about perspective. You know, Paul says that all these things that he's saying that, you know, live as Christ and to die is gain. You think, who is this guy? Wow, that's a lot to say. I think it's so interesting because obviously he is speaking from the inside out, not from the outside in. Because inside him lives the Holy Spirit. 
And he is, he is leading with the Holy Spirit. He's not allowing the outside to affect him. People are saying, oh, poor Paul. He's been in that prison. He's still waiting for trial. And he's saying, nah, I'm going to be steady in Christ Jesus and who he is and what I know he's done for me. And stability in life often comes from having a God-centered perspective. I want us to just, I'm going to run through quickly Paul's perspectives overall. Whenever you look at it like this, it's kind of shocking. And like I said, sometimes we have to take time to understand things and get a perspective. But I've been reading this my whole entire life, and I still don't even understand how he could have this type of perspective. He was confident, even though he was a victim. In the opening of this, there's a sense of confidence and excitement. He is joyful in spite of others and what they're all trying to do to him and say about him and talk smack about him. He's confident. He's like, it don't matter. It does not matter. They're talking about Jesus ultimately. He's hopeful regardless of uncertainties. He says, through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He uses the phrase, what has happened to me or what is happening, like three different times in these 15 verses. Because he is content that Christ is the center of his life. You know, from what we see in these circumstances, there's a way that we can really take this and it not just be a description of what happened to him, but that it can be a prescription for us of how we are to be in our own circumstances, in our own prison, in our own chains, because we all have something like that. And sometimes, whenever we are most feeling chained up and at a low point in our life and, and purposeless, God can actually use that pain in ways that we would never imagine. I'll tell you a quick story here. Um, it's part of my testimony. I haven't had a chance to share it with a lot of people, but it's something that's important. Um, from about the age of eight to about 17, um, I had a lot of sickness a lot of deep, dark depression, and I also self-harmed. And looking back, you know, you think, oh God, you're a sick kid in multiple ways. I was sick here because the enemy was attacking me, and I was on medicines for different things with my lungs, and, and I was sad. But probably whenever I was about... 19 or maybe 21, yeah, probably about 21, I was helping a youth group. At that point, thank God I had been delivered from a lot of that. I never once again, after about the age of 18, I never wanted to self-harm again. The enemy never came to me and tried to attack my mind in that way. But I met a girl and we were in a small group together and I was leading it. Uh, she was, you know, I was 21. She was probably about 16. And she said, I have this friend and um, she's tried to commit suicide twice and she's cutting herself. How do I talk to her about this? What, is, what does the Bible say about this? And I'm like, oh Lord. And in that moment, I knew her friend was that, you know, that story, I have a friend. It was, she was talking about herself. 
And afterwards, I was able to talk to her. And for the first time, for the first time ever, um, I shared my story of deliverance. And I shared with her what I had been through. I shared with her what had happened to me in my sickness and my weakness and how hard it was, but that I kept a God-centered perspective on everything. And in that moment, I thought to myself, maybe, Lord, I was afflicted to help deliver someone who was in the same boat that I was as a child. Now, I'm not saying that God allows bad things to happen or causes bad things to happen or, you know, it's, it's much more complex than that than just saying, well, it was God's will or the devil did it. It's much more complex and heavy than that. It's probably a, a synthesis of all of those things. And I'm not saying things don't hurt. Things hurt like hell. That's a, that's a lyric from a song that we sing, so don't get offended at me. <laughs> Things are heavy. It's hard. Life is hard. I can't explain it away. Your preacher and your pastor aren't going to be able to explain it away. Every book that you read in that library is not going to be able to explain it away and help you understand, you know, why do I have these chains? Why do I have these battles? Why have these things happened to me? But either way, it doesn't matter because the tomb is empty. And resurrection life that ro rose Jesus up from the dead, it is in your veins. Scripture talks about, you know, that Jesus is the resurrection life and the same power. Y'all know that's the same power. Same, there's this old gospel song. It says, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in each one of you. And so we have resurrection life in us, no matter what has happened, no matter what has happened to us, God can use the detours of our life to advance the gospel. Because first with our lives, and life is hard but then also with our testimony. You can't see the person you might meet 10 years down the road that is sitting in front of you, crying, shaking, so confused, or maybe so angry and so bitter. You can't see them, but it's very possible they might be there and have the exact same story that you have, the exact same things that you've been through, the same cancer, the same lost job, the same divorce, the same pain, the same broken heart. And at that time, with your testimony, you'll be able to speak into their life. But it all takes faith to be able to have that type of perspective. You know, Psalms talks about how he says that he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. I feel like there's a lot of brokenhearted people in this place today, including myself. With the news that I had this weekend, I'm very brokenhearted. But the Lord wants to heal your wounds. He wants to bind them up and put his, you know, the bomb of Gilead out of the Bible on it to help heal you and to not just heal you, but to make you stronger. Don't let bitterness come in. Let faith take you to a different place. It's scary. It's not easy. But that's how faith is. Jochebed in the Bible was Moses' mother. And through faith, she said, I got this baby, and I know I've got to, I got to protect him. And so y'all know the story. We've all seen Prince of Egypt. <laughs> 
she puts him in a basket and puts him in the Nile River. That's some serious faith. I don't think she put him in there saying, he's going to be fine. Everything's going to work out. I'm going to end up being his wet nurse and the the princess is going to find him? No. She said, I'm putting him in this basket by faith and putting it in God's hands and trusting God even when I can't trace him and having faith when I'm fearful and I'm afraid because she was choosing that just the way that Paul was choosing joy and that I am choosing joy this morning. Because the Lord is with us in the journey. And I, I think it's so interesting. I felt like it was just a Holy Spirit set up that I'm teaching on this. And then on Friday, what happens to our family? What has happened to us? What has happened to you? I'm going to end here with the beginning and read verse 12 to you again. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the issues that you've had in your life, the struggle, the weakness, the pain, the fear. If you... Give it to God by faith. Keep him as the passion in your belly and keep your eyes on Jesus. It will advance the gospel. I'm not minimizing those things. I want y'all to know that. But some way, somehow, we can keep joy in our journey. Now, before I completely close, um, there's some papers underneath each one of your seats. On that paper, there's a question. It says, what has happened to me? I've told you guys a few things that have happened to me in my life. We've talked about what had happened to Paul. And I know that each one of you have multiple things. I'm sure much worse. I feel almost hypocritical because honestly, my life has been really wonderful. I have an amazing family. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for my family that have kept a Jesus at the center of everything. Some of you may not even have a family. Maybe you feel orphaned. Some of you probably have had extreme abuse in your life. Some of you right now may have recently lost a job. Some of y'all might just be, y'all might just be scared because you don't know what's next. We all have what has happened to me. And I would like for you to put something, one thing, two things, however many you feel, on that paper because I want us to give it to God. I want us to allow Him to bring beauty from ashes. And whenever you're ready, 
I want you, just like Moses' mother, Jochebed, did, I want you to bring it up here and put it in the basket. You can write it down, tear it up, crumple it up, but I want you to, by faith, put it in the basket and say, God, I'm giving this to you. What has happened to me? Just like Paul, all the things that happened to him, I want to be used. I want you to use these circumstances. All these things that have happened to me, I give them to you. I give them to you with fear. I give them to you with trepidation. I give them to you like barely. But I give them to you by faith. And I want to leave them with you. I don't want to keep taking them back. So you guys take time to write and pray and ask the Lord what it is that has happened to you that can help advance his gospel in this world. Maybe for some of you, you knew exactly what it is you wanted to write on that paper. For some of you, you're, you're not even sure. Maybe you've numbed it out for so long and you think there's no way that God can use the circumstances that I've had to deal with. I ask that the Holy Spirit reveal. I ask that the Holy Spirit reveal right now in your name, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come in this place and heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. In Jesus' name. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.